Good morning, Grace. How's everyone doing today? Glad you're with us today. If you don't know me, my name is Sam Ferris. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at Grace. Glad you're with us today. But before we get into God's word and dive into his message, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for being in our presence today. We, we welcome your Holy Spirit into this room. Lord, just open our ears and open our hearts to hear your word and to hear what you have to say to us. Lord, if anyone's listening online or watching, Lord, just uh, speak through me today, Lord. And just let each and every person in here, including myself, receive your word. And not only hear it, but that we apply it to our lives, that we, that we go out and we do it. Lord, we thank you for, for your presence here today. Lord, just speak to us, open our hearts, open our ears. In your name we pray, amen. So today we're going to continue on with our series into the book of Deuteronomy, The Best is Yet to Come. And uh, I'm going to be in chapter 6 today, most of it. I'm going to skip around just a little bit, but in chapter 5, I'm going to give you kind of a background. Moses is talking to the Israelites. The Israelites are just right outside of the promised land that was promised him. They're their final destination. They've been wandering in the wilderness for so long. Generations has passed on. And they're, they're right there. It's, it's right there for the taking. And, and Moses has given him his, them his last speech or his last sermon that they need to hear, that they need to listen to, that they need to obey. It's important that they remember where they come from and what God has done for them, everything that he has done for them. This, I, I kind of tie this into football since it's football season. I, I kind of picture Moses here. He's like the coach, and he's gathered his team up of not 40 or 50, but, you know, millions. And he's gathered them up, and this is his last pep talk. This is his last, you know, this is, this is it. This is what you've worked for. This is what you've wondered for. This is what your parents and the previous generations have died for. This is it. This is it's there for the taking. All you have to do is the things I tell you to do. See, sometimes as coaches, they do what we tell them to do, and sometimes they don't. But that's where we're at. In chapter 5, he's telling them, look at all the things that God has done for you. Look at where he's led you. He's made highways out of seas for you. He's led you out of the wilderness. He's provided for you. He's given you the law to have on your hearts. And see, there's a point to them being reminded over and over again. Because see, they were not perfect. And the land that they were going to take over, the promised land, still had people living in it. And those people were not like the Israelites. They were more like the Egyptians. They worshipped gods and goddesses. They had idols. And so Moses was telling him, look, when you get to the promised land, don't be tempted by the shiny things that are put in your face. Because you will fall in those temptations if you don't have God's law and his love on your heart. Listen to what I'm telling you. Don't just hear it, but listen. So this is a new generation that he's talking to. So the previous generation, their bones were out there bleaching in the desert. Because they were wandering around, wandering around because they were not listening. They were not doing. They did not fully trust God. They were not ready. But the next generation is. They were ready. But because of the previous generation's disobedience, they were wandering around. 
But see, this is a, a new generation. But see, they needed to hear the law again. They needed to be talked to again. They needed to know why they were getting the promise. And they needed to know where they came from and what the previous generations went through. So the title of the day is The Next Generation. And that's what we need to be focused on today is the next generation. It's not just about now, but our future generations and the next and the next and the next. We're going to start in verse 1 through 3. And again, when, when I read this, I want you to picture, you know, Moses gathering around his people and it's a sweaty locker room and he's giving them one final pep talk for the championship game. This is it. It's right here. And if you're not in sports, I'm sorry. You're better off, I think. That's a different sermon for a different day. Verses 1 through 3. These are the commands, decrees, and regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. You must obey them in the land you're about to enter and occupy. And you and your children and grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. If you obey all of his decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. Listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey. Listen careful and obey. Listen carefully. Listen closely and obey. Then all will go well with you and you will have many children in the promised land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord God your ancestor promised you. Listen. You must obey. Fear God. Fear his commands. And see, this is a different kind of fear. In chapter 5, if you go back and read chapter 5 on your own, they had a different kind of fear because Moses was reminding them that they saw all the power of God. They saw all of his miracles. They saw the previous generations actually got to see God make highways out of seas. They saw this thing. God was with them in their presence. And guess what? They didn't like it. It scared them. They were not prepared. So I often think, man, it would be awesome to be back and if I could just be a fly on the wall, if I could just place myself in their position and see God and hear God. And I'm thinking, no, I wouldn't. I'd be just like these people. I'd be scared to death. I wouldn't be able to handle it. So there's something about the power of God that they couldn't handle. So they're like, Moses, we do not want to hear from God anymore directly. We were too little. We're too scared. We need, to be a, we need a mediator. You talk to God and then you, you tell us what he tells you to tell us. And we'll try to do what he asks us to do. But we don't want to hear from him anymore. So Moses is telling them what they need to hear. He's being their mediator. He's being their coach. He's being their teacher. He's being their pastor. These are the things you need to do in order to take the promised land and not fall. You need to love God and you need to obey his commandments. Listen to his commandments. Obey them. And things will go good for you. If you don't, you're going to fall into the temptation that you were in in Egypt. It's not going to be any different. You're going to fall for the new shiny thing. You're going to forget God is the only God that you need to serve. And you're going to rely on an idol. So they need to be reminded. But see, Moses is talking about a different kind of fear. This is the type of fear that you're in awe and irreverent of who God is. This is a fear that draws you closer to him. So every time that you mess up, every time that you might forget the law, 
you don't walk away from him, it makes you realize how much more you need him. It brings you closer to him. Most of the time when we're in fear for something, we don't go closer, right? If, it, if there's something scary out in the dark, we don't run toward it. We run away from it. This is a different kind of fear that you run toward God with. It's the kind of fear that we're afraid to disappoint God because he loved us so much. He loved us. He first loved you. This is a healthy kind of fear, not this scary type of fear, that you're in awe of him, that you, you can't believe how much God loves you. That See, there are no gods like Yahweh. There are no gods like the Israelites seen. They saw it over and over and over again that the Egyptian gods had no power over them. They had no power. They were just idle sitting. They had no power. They saw the work of the one true God. And nothing could defeat him. Nothing was bigger than him. They were, all those gods and goddesses were powerless. See, Moses here, he's their coach, he's their teacher, he's their preacher, whatever you want to call it. And he's telling remember, I'm reminding you, love and obey God before you go into the promised land. He's speaking to the next generation. See, they were all called to be teachers of the future generations. And a while back, I gave us the title of all priest, that we're all priest. And that's kind of uncomfortable. I'm going to give you another one today, that we're all teachers. Whether you have a degree or not, you are all teachers. No matter where you're at in your walk of life, no matter how old you are, what gender you are, it doesn't really matter what profession you're in, we are all teachers. We're all teachers, regardless if you think you are or not. But he was calling us to be godly teachers. They were called to teach the future generation that there's only one God and that that God loves them. So the first point, a godly teacher leaves a legacy. They leave a legacy, not just a title, but a legacy. See, Abraham left a legacy. Moses was leaving a legacy to the future generations. Moses was teaching them that the fundamental duty that they had was to love God and respond to his law. That that law was on their hearts. That those commandments were on their hearts. And not only to follow and love God, but respond to that. They were to respond to God with their actions and what they said, what they did, how they led other people. How they affected the people in the promised land that did not know God. It was up to them to teach those people, not the other way around. And I think sometimes when we let our students or our kids or our future generations go out in the world and they're not ready, they don't affect the world positively, the world affects them. And that's what Moses is trying to get across. We need to stop that. See, our first love is to love God with all of our heart and then respond to his law. We're to keep his words close to our hearts. We are to think on them, meditate on them. Reflect on them. See, we cannot give our children what we don't possess. We can't show our children in the next generation, and we can't teach them the love of God if we don't first have the love of God ourselves. And I told first service, I really, really have struggled with this. It seems like every time that I prepare a message that I get preached to daily for like two weeks, 
And I live the message, and that's a great thing because Sam realized that Sam's not perfect and that I'm a teacher, and sometimes I've failed in my job of teaching in the classroom, and I've failed teaching my son in the home because I'm not perfect. Because sometimes I, I teach without the love of God. And see, I've got to be careful of that because I've got students in this building that I go into the school building with. So they need to see that love of God in my heart here and there. And I think as parents, as teachers, we all struggle with that. We all struggle with that. But God's saying, have that love for me in your heart. Show them that love. We're to think on them. Meditate on them. Reflect on them. Remember, we can't give our children what we don't already possess. We will never be able to lead our children and our kids to somewhere we've never been. We can't tell them to go on that path when we've never been on it ourselves. We must have his word on our hearts and our lives. And we have to live it. We have to leave a legacy for the next generation. We can't just tell them. We have to show them. We have to show them. See, our love of God affects future generations. It's not just a one generational thing. It's not just your kids. It's not just you. It's for future generations. And the next and the next. See, what we teach our children today affects future generations. It affects our children, our grandchildren, our future grandchildren's children, and on and on and on and on. It affects generations. And, and I, I can apply this personally in my own life. My great-grandfather was one of the best men that I know. He's probably the best man I've ever known. And until someone tells me different, I'm going to keep on believing that. But that man showed me the love of God, what it looked like to walk with God. Even as a, a young, young boy, not even in school yet, I saw that. He had an impact on my life that affected generations because it just didn't affect me. It affected my son. It's affecting him right now. And it'll go on to the next generation. And the same thing is with you guys. You will affect other generations. My grandmother in here, my mother, they affect me, but they're also affecting other generations. We are all called to teach. We're all called to teach. So remember, we need to remember every time that we have those teachable moments, when they come, and they will come. Just like for myself last couple weeks, I've had some teachable moments for myself. Some went good, some went bad. That we remember every time that we teach, that we're training up the next generation, and that they have that love of God in their hearts. That we, we teach, we teach the love of God in our hearts before anything else. And see that they're going to learn exactly what they observe in your life. And that's kind of hard because Carson doesn't always see the best part of me. Your children do not always see the best part of you. But they're going to do what you do. They're going to act the way you act. They're going to speak the way you speak. It's like that country song, Little Buckaroo. I want it to be like you, Dad. Your children are like that. They're going, to, they're going to reflect what you teach them. And this is hard. This is hard. But we have to teach them the love of God over anything else. But before we go into any conversation with our kids, that it becomes a God thing. That you have to teach with the love of God in your heart before you discuss anything else about school, relationships, whatever it is. It has to start with the love of God. What does the law say? What does God say in this moment? And teach him that. But it has to be in our hearts. We can't 
teach our kids to go somewhere that we've never been ourselves. So how do we affect future generations? When we read and live the word, we are investing in our kids' futures. We're investing in our kids' futures. Every time they see us pray, every time they see see us read scripture, every time that they hear us quote scripture, every time they see us pray in public, every time they see us help someone else, it affects them. We're investing in their future because we're modeling that for them. Let's be honest, we all want good things for our children. We all want our children's futures to be bright. We all want them to be a good citizen. We all want them to have a good moral compass. We want them to stay out of trouble. We want them to succeed in life. We want them to have a good job. We want them to have a family one day and have us lots of grandkids and all that good stuff, right? We want that for our kids. We want them to be the athlete. We want them to get the scholarship. We want them to go and get further their education. And there's nothing wrong with that. I hope you want that for your children. That doesn't mean it's all going to come true, but it's a good starting point. We all should want that for our children. We should all want that for the next generation. But guess what? Those are all good things, but are they the most important things in your life? Are those the most important things that you're trying to instill in your kids that you just want them to be successful? Or that you, that you just want them to be a good citizen? Or that you want them to get a scholarship? See, all those things are good. There's nothing wrong with those. I want those for my son as well. But guess what? So do atheists. So do non-believers. So does the rest of society want that for their children. So what is the most important thing that we need to be teaching our generation, that our children and to other children, and that's the love of God. That's what, there's one God. We're supposed to be teaching them Jesus Christ and what he did for us on the cross. That is the most important thing, that whatever we teach our children, it's the love of God. That's the main thing over everything else. All those other things should be second. We want them to be happy. We want them to stay out of trouble. It's good that they provide for themselves in the future. But that can't be the most important thing. So as Christians, we have a totally, completely different point of view. We have a different purpose. We have a different authority in life. And that purpose is to love and obey Jesus and to teach that to our children and to our children's children and the next generation. That's why family is so important. Your family is so important. How many of you in here has been affected negatively or positively by family, by something that's happened in your family? Most of us, positive or negative, because family is important. Let me say something. If you're a single parent, if you're a single mom or a single dad, you're a family. It doesn't matter the size of your family, what your family looks like. If it's a blended family, you are a family. Even the the messy families, even the broken families, you are still a family. And family is important. It's important to God. Our church family is important. And C.S. Lewis has a quote in his book, Mere Christianity, that, that I just love. And he says, the whole purpose for which we exist is to be taken out of the life of God. When we live together in community, so that's our church community, our families, everybody. We experience a joy that has always existed in the community of God. When we come together in a common place, sharing common possessions, and pursuing a common purpose, 
we were taken up into the life of community that was always existed with God. We get to know what God already knows is good. When we have community, we have God. That's why Jesus was so right in keeping with his nature when he said, For where there are two or three that come together in my name, there I am with them. That's Matthew 18 and 20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am right there with them. So he is right here with us today. So when you are with your family, whether you're a single mom or a single dad, with your kids, Jesus is right there with you. He's right there with you. And family is important. Family is important. Community is important. God wants us to live together in community so we can know him and understand him as a God of community. Family is important. What God is telling us, what Moses is telling us, what C.S. Lewis is even telling us, is that family and the way we treat our families is important. See, God's design for the family is to make his word a part of everything that we do and say. Everything that we do and say. And see, this is not just for parents. This is for big brothers, big sisters, cousins. We are all teachers. It doesn't matter what part of the family we're talking about. We are all teachers. God's design for the family, his purpose for us is to make his word and his love, his laws on our hearts in everything that we do. Everything that we say. Every place that we go. And so when we come up with a problem or we have a problem that rises in, in our life, we have a situation, we have a teachable moment that we first remember the love of God on our hearts and we reflect on his law. And then we respond the way he would want us to respond, not the way that we think we should respond. It says In Proverbs 22, 6, it says, Train your children in the way they should go, and they will not depart from it. We have to show, it's not just enough to show them, we have to train them. We have to teach it, we have to repeat it, repeat it, repeat it, so they'll know where to go. That they will not depart from it. We can't. We can't give them something that that we don't possess. So if we don't follow that, if we're not training our children the way they should go, they're not going to know where to go. So we have to have that love of God on our hearts. We have to have that law on our hearts. And family is important. Each and every one of us in here today is part of a family. Everyone's family looks different. It has different numbers. Some dads may not exist. Some moms may not exist. You've lost parents, and it's hard. And your family may not be the prototypical family, but it's okay. You are still a family. You're still a community of God, and he wants you to be a teacher. He wants you to be a godly teacher. He wants you to be an effective teacher. The second point is a godly teacher loves God intensely. Love God intensely. And see, this is kind of where we get in the meat of the sermon. Verse 4 through 6. Emily read this to you, but I'm going to read it to you again. And again, think about Moses being with his people and being around the huddle. And he's, he's really trying to get this through their skulls. He's, he's teaching them. He's telling them. He's enthusiastic about it. You know, well, listen, guys. No. They're not going to get that. He's in their face. He's in their face. Speaking it in my face, there's a bug. Listen, O Israel. Listen. Hear. I'm glad I didn't scream. The Lord our God is Lord alone. Listen. Hear. Other versions say 
here. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all of your strength. And you must commit yourselves. Commit yourselves wholeheartedly. Not just a little bit here and there. Not just at mealtime and right before bed. But wholeheartedly. Commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. So live them. Live them. See, if we're to train up godly children, we have to model his love in our hearts and his word. Our children are watching our every moves. They're hearing everything that we say. They're reflecting our attitudes. So if our attitude stinks, their attitudes are going to stink. We're reflecting on them. We can't expect our children to love God with everything that they have if we don't do the same. If we first don't love him. Now see here in this verse, or listen, does it... You know, there's, there, there's differences. Teaching, I know this. There's difference between listening and hearing. There's differences. He's saying hear. And that's an active thing. That means to apply it, to live it, to live it out loud. Not just let it go in one ear and let it bounce around a little while and then, and then forget it. It's to live it. Apply them to our lives. And see, to the Hebrews, this, this passage was known as the Shema. And this was a prayer that they would wake up every day and say this prayer. They would go to sleep every night and say this prayer. God, you are the only God that I need. You are God above everything else. And I'm going to love you with all my heart and all my soul and all my strength. I'm going to put you above everything else. They prayed that twice a day. They prayed that twice a day. It was central to their faith. That when they went to the promised land, they would need to know that prayer. They would have to remember that God is the only God that they need. All, that other things, all those other things were just shiny things that didn't matter. That they didn't have any power. That their God was the only God that had power. And that they were going to love him. They were going to love his word. They were going to love his commands with everything that they had. With all their heart, all their, all their soul, and all their strength. Not just one, but all three. See, Jesus would have said the same prayer. Jesus would have said the same prayer every morning and every night. Now, I just think that's amazing that he would still pray this prayer. And see, Jesus never wasted a teachable moment. He never wasted a teachable moment. So I'm going to read in Matthew 22, verses 36 through 37. It's going to be up here. But the Pharisees were, were trying to trap Jesus in this situation. And sometimes teachers get challenged. And if you're trying to be a godly teacher to your students or to your families or to your children, you will be challenged. There will be coming challenges your way, I promise. It says, teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? They're trying to trap him. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. 
And he says that second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands and all the prophets are based on these two commandments. So he adds a little bit of a different... See, all good teachers add just a little bit extra, right? If it's good. So he's saying you got to love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. But you also have to love others. You have to love your neighbor as yourself. And I love how Pastor Dennis puts this, you have to love yourself. A lot of people forget that part of it. You have to be able to love yourself and accept yourself in order for the love of God to come through. In order for you to love others, you first have to love yourself. Because God created you the way God wanted you, we need to love ourselves. And I think a lot of us, sometimes we don't love ourselves. We don't love our actions. We don't like the way we talk. We don't like the way we act. We have to reflect on God's love for our heart and our lives. So love God with everything that we have. So love God with all your heart. So when we love God intensely, when we love God with everything that we have, we have to love God with all our heart. See, God's always called for a relationship that starts with the inside. It's always with the inside. When we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, and his, he lives in the inside, we're to radiate out. It doesn't happen backwards. See, our children need to see the love of God radiate out toward them. But all of our heart. And see, I love this because in the Hebrew language, your heart is not just an organ that pumps blood. And it's not just something you put on a valentine. It's not just about love. Okay? The heart is connected to the mind. Your thoughts, your feelings, it's all one thing. It's all part of the person. Your thought, is your thought process the same that's lining up with your heart? Because a lot of times, Sam's thought process doesn't line up with the heart. And that's what Moses is telling us. That's what God's telling us. Our hearts and minds are the same. They have to be working together. So Moses is saying, get these truths in your mind and in, the, in your heart. Love my law. Love my commandments. Reflect on them. Think of them every step you make. Every, every teachable moment that you have. Jesus had a teachable moment. He, reminded, he remembered God's word. He quoted Deuteronomy. Yes, that's the most important commandment, but we also have to love everyone else. We have to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's what we need to be teaching our children, is to love God with all of our hearts and all of our minds. And that's connected. A lot of times we want to disconnect those two. But our thoughts and our heart should be one. What we feel in our heart and feel in our brain should be the same. So we need to love God with all of our heart and all of our soul. And so when I was little, I used to think, this just meant a ghost, right? Everybody has souls, and, and they just go up. Ghosts are souls. And that's not entirely accurate. See, the soul is like everything that we are. It's our essence of everything that we are. Our desires, our, our passions. And I was like, whoa. So we're supposed to love God not only with all of our heart and mind, so our thoughts, thoughts should be on him, our hearts should be on him, but also our desires, our passions in life. So do your passions in life reflect the love of God or they, they reflect something else? Are our children, the people that you're trying to teach, are they seeing you love God with all your desires? Are they seeing you love with all your desires? Now I hate to 
say something negative, but it, it's kind of like when there's a plane crash or something bad that happens. People don't say lives were lost. They say how many souls were on board because soul is important. The soul of the person is who they are. Your soul is who you are and what you're passionate about and, and what you like and what you love. It's the essence of who you are. So are your passions glorifying God? Is your soul glorified God? Are you loving God with all your soul? So it's not only to love God with all of our hearts and all of our thoughts and our passions and desires, but we're to love God with everything that we have, strength. Now this is not muscle, so we don't got to go to Planet Fitness in order to love God with all of our strength. Okay? We don't have to lift weights for that. We need to read the Word. We need to reflect on His law. But with all of our strength, all of our might. See, strength and might in Hebrew means very or much or all. So we need to love God with all of our muchness. I don't know if that's a word, but it is now. We need to love God with everything that we have. So we need to love God with all of our possessions, all of our thoughts, everything that we own, all of our heart, with all of our power. So it's kind of like a bullseye, right? You've got the heart and mind, and you've got the soul, and your outward is all your possessions that he's provided for you. All those are encompassed in the one. So we're to love God with everything that we have, including your bass boat, including your, your shopping bags, whatever. We could go on and on. But we are to love God with everything that we have. Is our possessions glorifying God? See, this kind of reminds me of the fear that Abraham had when he took and God commanded him to, to sacrifice Isaac, his one son that God promised him. And we just think of the scene of Abraham, you know, laying Isaac down on the altar to be sacrificed. But what we fail to realize is that he had three days to get to the place where they were going. So for three days, he reflected and he had to think about the sacrifice that he was going to make. Terrible. I couldn't imagine being in his shoes, being in his sandals, going to take his son to sacrifice him. And he lays him all. He's had three days to think about it. He's had three days to reflect on it. He's had three days to mourn. Why? I, I don't understand. And he lays him down on the altar. And just when he's about to stop, he realized God told him that I know you love me. See, Abraham was willing to let go of everything he had. Abraham showed God that he loved him with all of his possessions. All of it. Even his own son. Kind of reminds me of another story, right? About a son on a cross. But Abraham showed that he loved God intensely with everything that he had. He was willing to let go of something that meant the world to him. So what are some possessions in your life that God's wanting you to let go of? That you are not glorifying God with? Some things that you need to be letting go that are getting in the way of your relationship with God. That's getting in the way of you teaching the next generation. He was willing to let go of something that's not his own. He, let, he loved God enough to let go. And see, I think that's what we need to, how we need to love our children. We need to love our children and other children. We need to teach them that they're not our own. You know, Toby Mack 
lost his son. He's a, he's a Christian artist, and he lost his son at a young age, and he, he wrote a song that, thank you for that beautiful loan. We need to remember that our kids are not our own. They're just a beautiful loan from God. And then we need to teach them because their soul will be going on to somewhere else. That's what matters. Their earthly possessions, their titles on earth do not matter. Their souls are what matters. Their love of God, what they have in their heart is what matters. So we need to treat them like they're a beautiful loan. You have to take special care of something if it's a loan. If you loan a car, you take more care of it because you've got to give it back. If you own it, you, you tend to treat it a little bit differently. We need to te- treat our children that they're, they are the loan that God provided for us and to teach them the love of God. Verses 7 through 9. Repeat them again and again to your children. Repeat them again and again. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Verse 20. So in the future, when your children will ask you, and they will ask you many, many questions. So in the future, when you get asked these questions, what is the meaning of these laws? Why do we have to follow the Ten Commandments? Why are you punishing me like this? What, what's up with all these degrees and regulations that the Lord our God has commanded us to obey? You will be prepared to tell them. And you will be prepared to answer that with a loving heart. See, the Hebrews, they, they took these verses literally. They had scriptures that they wore around their neck that was close to their heart. They had the scripture tied to their foreheads so that people would know. They actually took it literal so it would be a visual representation that they had God's word on their heart and their minds at all time. So I don't think God's wanting us to take it that literal. But we have time. We like to say that we don't have time. But we have to teach our kids with spiritual diligence. And then when I was younger, I didn't like that word diligence because that means if my teacher was teaching us diligently... We were doing it over and over and over again. If I was to do my work the correct way, we were writing those spelling words over and over and over again. Right? We've all been there. So we need to teach our children with spiritual diligence. Repeat it, repeat it, repeat it again and again. We can't just tell our kids one time, hey, love God and see you later. Trust God, see you later. We we can't teach that way. It does not stick. We have to repeat it, repeat it, repeat it. And we're talking about coaching. When you, when you run a football play, you had to re- go over it again and again and again. I think Tennessee they had a few plays last night that they should have repeated a few more times in practice. But we have to teach diligence. The way we act, the way we talk, the way we think, the way they see us model behaviors. We have to be reminders of God's love for them. See, what signs are they seeing at home? They had, it, they had the scripture on the doorpost when you walk in. Are your kids seeing your love of God in your home with the signs? And I don't have, you don't have to plaster it like wallpaper on your, on your home, but are they seeing your love of God in your home? Are they, are they visual reminders that God's the most important person in that home? Are they seeing God? Are they seeing him in the home? So not only do we have to teach with spiritual diligence, but we have to teach with conviction. 
We have to teach with conviction. It has to be a want to. We need to have that conviction that we want our kids to love God over everything else. That that has to be the most important part. That when they go out and they have their own lives and they go out in society that all those things are important. But they need to know that God in their hearts, that God and his laws are the most important thing. And they have their in their hearts. That's the most important thing. We have to teach with conviction. See, loving and pleasing God has to be important to us. See, if, if, if God's not important, if God's love and his, his laws are not important on your heart, they're not going to get that either. Your children are not going to get that. For them to know it's important, it has to be important to us. It has to be important to you. So what are they observing in your life? How are, you, how are they seeing you treat your husband or your wife? How are they seeing you treat your siblings? How are they seeing you treat your neighbor? Or your co-workers? How are they seeing the way you treat them? What, what posts on social media are they seeing? You post. See, as parents, are you teaching the love and forgiveness of Jesus in the home? Like I told you earlier, I've, I've struggled with this lately. I've been battling this going over. See, see when... when when God prepares a sermon for me, and I, I know that Jeff and, and Dennis and, and Teresa and Doug, they all can tell you when we deliver a message to the congregation, we get preached to first. And we get preached to hard. I've been preached to hard the last couple of weeks. I've failed the last couple of weeks. I've had some teachable moments that, that passed me by that I did not take advantage of. That I've taught in ways that I did not show God's love first. The other day, I'll just go ahead and confess that the other day, our house is two-story, and, 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 the, and the stairs scare me because I have trouble going up and down them. And, and one of our rules in our house is that Carson, he has to hold on to the rail. And then I was doing something the other day, and I was working. More likely, I was preparing for this sermon. And I heard the ungodliest sound come down the steps. So it freaked me out. I thought I was going to look and find Carson in a mangled mess at the bottom of the steps. So I reacted in a way that was not loving, that was not God-like. Because I was afraid. It was a wrong kind of fear. And when I got there to the bottom of the steps, it was just a pile of toys. And Carson was sitting up there on top of the steps with this you know, scared look on his face. Like he knew that I was going to blow up, which I did and I shouldn't have. But that was a teachable moment because I showed my son that I was not perfect, that I needed forgiveness, that I had to ask my son for forgiveness because I did not react the way I was supposed to because I was afraid, because I love him so much. So we have to be teaching forgiveness in our home. See, they needed to see that we're not perfect. And your kids probably already know that anyway. But we need to show them that it's okay that we ask them for forgiveness because God forgives us for all of our mess-ups. I lived it. You, you're living it. We have to show them that we're not perfect. But he knows that I love him. He knows. So your kids need to know that you love them because you have the love of God in their hearts. And I had to explain to them why I reacted the way I did. I didn't justify it because it was wrong. So I let him know that. And he, he, he forgives so easily. We don't do that at times, do we? See, if our, t or if our children can forgive easily, so should we. 
So we need to teach with conviction. It needs to be on our hearts at all times. It needs to be important to us. So we also have to teach with consistency. And I think this is the, the biggest problem with being godly teachers is being consistent. Because being consistent is hard. Being consistent takes time. And we're all too busy, right? We're all too busy. We don't have the time to teach consistency. Moses is telling us to repeat again and again and again. Teach diligently. Go over it. Go over it. Go over it. Teach it again and again and again. Repeat it. Repeat it. Repeat it. Well, I don't have the time. And I love how Moses responds because he knows what his children are going to say. He says, talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road. Did you drive here today? You had time. Did you get up this morning? You had time. If you're watching online today, you're probably still in your pajamas, but you have time. So talk about it when you go to bed and when you get up. Everyone goes to bed and everyone gets up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Are they seeing those reminders? We have time. So I, I like where it says when you're at home. So basically, when you're at home sitting on the couch watching football or watching cooking shows, when you're at your house and at your leisure time, whether that's on the lake, whether that's on the golf course, wherever you're at in your leisure time, there's teachable moments there. And we have to seize those teachable moments that God has placed in front of us. Because it's all about a conversation. And a lot of conversations are tough. We don't like those conversations, especially us men. Amen? We don't like to talk about our feelings. But it's important that we teach the next generation the love of God in their, our hearts. I love the song that they sang earlier. That there's nothing better than you. We need to let our children know that there's nothing out there that's better than our God. There's nothing out there better than the Lord. So even when they see us in those teachable moments, in those vulnerable moments, when we're not perfect, we can teach them, look, I was not the way... I was supposed to be back then. I was in Egypt back then, but God brought me out of it because there will become a time when they will ask you. Verse 20 says that they will ask you. So where you once were, God led you out. You can teach them that. I was once this person, but now I'm not. And it's all because of God's power. It's all because I love him. And he loves me more than I can ever imagine. And he loves you more than you can imagine. It's a teachable moment. We've all had this. So we all sit down at night. We all drove here or we rode here. We all walk somewhere. You have the time if we make it. We have to teach with consistency. We can no longer use time as an excuse. When you go on hikes, whatever you're doing, use that time. Use that time that God provided you. We have to seize the teachable moments regardless of where we're at. We're on our leisure time, whether we're on the golf course, whether we're fishing. That's, you, that's your time with your, your child, but it's also your time with your child and God. When we, we, we sit down with them at night to pray with them, or we pray with them when we get up, when they see us praying, when they see us reading scripture, when they see us praying for them, we show our children the love of God. The great truths of our faith in keeping the commandments the gospel, that's what it's all about, what Jesus said on the cross. We are to talk about these things all the time because they're not just going to get it one time. We can't just tell them to love God and see you later. We have to teach with consistency. 
over and over and over again with diligence. So it sinks in. So they take it and it's on their hearts. See, it's like a sign that I saw the other day in town. And I love it. It stuck out with me. It's been like a month ago. But it says it's easier to build a child than it is to repair an adult. A lot of us in here today have needed repair. A lot of us today in here, most of us in here, have needed repair at some point in our lives. But it's easier for us to build a child. It's easier for us to bring up children that love God with all their hearts above anything else. Above getting new shoes. Above anything else. That they love God more than anything else. But we have to be that. We have to show them that. We have to be that model because they're going to be just like us. They're going to talk just like us. They're going to act just like us. It's a huge responsibility. But that's what Moses is calling his, the people of Israel to do. That's what God's calling us to do. That's what Jesus was telling his disciples and us. Love God with everything that you've got. Everything that you own. And love others that same way. Those are the commandments. They all take care of themselves if we love. So pray with them. Read the Bible to them. It's not saying that we have to be like the Hebrews and memorize the book of Torah. We don't have to memorize the entire Bible, but maybe start with a verse. Simple prayer with them. Read the Bible with them. Take five minutes out of your time and read the Bible with them. Even if it's an illustrated children's Bible, which are very cool. Read it with them. Look at the pictures with them. Talk about the pictures. Make it a teachable moment. Make it a teachable moment. We're all called to be teachers, regardless of our age, our abilities. Older brothers or sisters, aunts, uncles, it doesn't matter. You are to teach the next generation. The next generation is important. We have been called by our mediator. See, the Israelites, they needed a mediator. They weren't ready. We weren't ready either. We needed a mediator. And Jesus Christ is our mediator. See, Jesus loves us so much that he proved it. His blood pouring down the cross proved his love for us. It showed us how much he loved us. Are we telling our kids that I was once like that, but now I'm not? See, when God sees us in the valley, when, when he sees us, and the bad things going on in our life of our, of our children seeing us turn to God in those bad times. Are they seeing us rely on him and only him? And in closing, I want to read Matthew 28, 18 through 20. So we need to teach with consistency. But Matthew 28 through 18 through 20. So Jesus came and told his disciples, so listen to these words. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go. Go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples. Teach the next generation. And the generation after that, leave a legacy. Teach these new disciples to obey the commands I've given to you. 
What are those commands again? Love God with everything that you have. Love Him with all your heart, all your soul, all your muchness. Love Him with all those things, all your possessions. And love your neighbor as yourself so we are to show our love to others. They will see that. And be sure of this, I am with you always to the end of this age. So when we reach those teachable moments, those difficult times in our life where God gives us a teachable moment, when we've messed up or we can point to God, that we know that our Heavenly Father is right there with us. We're two or three are gathered together. He is with us. So in that moment of my not being the, the dad that I should have been with Carson and myself and Sarah, I'm going to be vulnerable here for a minute. God was with us for that teachable moment. God was with, with us. He will be with you in those teachable moments, those hard questions that they will ask. Just like verse 20 said, there will come a time when they ask you, why is it this way? Why is it that way? Why do I need to know this? Because God loves you. That's the most important thing that they need to know. Replay it, replay it, replay it. Repeat it, repeat it, repeat it. Teach it, teach it, teach it. So not only do they just listen to it here, but they live it out. That they live it out, that they take it and apply it to their hearts. That they apply it to their lives. Let's go ahead, bow your heads in prayer. There's people in your life today, maybe sitting right here in this room or in this building, but there are people in your life that God's inviting you to have an influence on. I talked to, to Jim in first service, and I don't know if I can make it through it, but his parents died recently, and he, he came up for prayer, and I hope he doesn't care I'm saying this, but he wanted prayer because he felt a huge responsibility because since his parents are no longer with him, that, that his family, that his children and their children are going to be looking to him to see God. They're going to be looking to him for teachable moments. We all have that responsibility in this room. It's to teach the next generation. It should be on our hearts. It should be on our minds. That everything that we do, everything that we say reflects the love of God. And that's not easy. We're going to mess up. We're not perfect. We're not always going to be the teacher that we need to be. And that's okay. But teaching those teachable moments that God provides us with. Because see, one day our bones are going to be like the previous generations of Israel. They're going to be bleaching out in the desert somewhere. Our souls are going to be going on. We're going to be in heaven. Our pants will have passed. We'll have passed. So I'm going to ask you, what legacy are you leaving behind for the next generation? Because we're not always going to be here. We're not always going to have those teachable moments. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for this message today. I thank you for what you teach us and what you say to us. We thank you for the lessons of Moses and the Israelites. That we see that where they came from, what they were in is not where you led them to go, that you had better, greater things ahead for them, just like us. If we, if we put all of our trust in you, our lives aren't going to be perfect. It's not all going to go great, but it's going to be a lot better with you than without you. Our lives aren't always going to be perfect, but they're going to be full of your love and your grace. Thank you for being our mediator 
Thank you for dying on the cross for us. Lord, just help us apply these words and these truths to our lives. Lord, help us lead, guide, and direct the next generation. Help us be those godly teachers that you're calling us to be. Help us teach with consistency. Help us teach with conviction. Not just because we have to, because we want to, because it's on our hearts. Help us live it. Help us walk it for the future generation and the next generation. Because, God, that's what you called us to do, is to make and go make disciples. So, God, help us make disciples for you. Help us in our families. Lord, there's people here today that they are coming from a broken family. And if you're coming from a broken family today, you might be the one that's, you're the teacher. It's your responsibility to be the teacher when no one else has taught you. You be the teacher. And if you need someone else to teach you, find someone. God, I ask you that you send someone to them to be that godly teacher that they need. Lord, if there's anyone here or anyone listening that does not know you as their personal savior, does not know you as their personal mediator, Lord, today I, I hope that they ask you into their hearts. Lord, all that do is ask you, accept your forgiveness, that you just come into their life and be Lord over all, that the idols are empty, but you are the only God that matters. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In your name we pray, amen.